to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 will be our text this morning. The title of the message is Careful Living in Evil Days. You'll see why that's pertinent as we read the passage. But let us let us pray first. Father, as we come to your word now, I pray that the words that you speak to us this morning would draw our hearts near to you. And Lord, that by your spirit, you would work in our midst. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would illuminate our minds, give us uh, give us minds to comprehend the truth of your word and hearts to love the truth of your word and lives to live faithfully and obediently to the truth of your word. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when I was in high school, I played baseball. It's not all that significant. A lot of people play ball or play on some sports team or play in some or have some extracurricular activity. But for me, it was baseball. And, uh, and one of the things that we did before every baseball game, it might surprise you to know, uh, the team would look to me and I would be the one that would have to lead the team in prayer before every baseball game. And it became a matter of, uh, of, of ritual. It became something they just automatically looked at me to do because I was, I was the deacon's son. Uh, and so that, that's one of the reasons that they looked to me is I was one who attended church. But I desperately needed someone to guide me, to direct me, to help me see the potential that was there for having some sort of impact on the lives of these fellow teammates that I had. You see, I wasn't one who was living carefully. I wasn't one who was guarding the things that I did. I wasn't guarding my lifestyle. I wasn't guarding my walk with Christ. I've fallen into sin and I have begun being shaped and influenced as I've shared in the past according to Psalm 1, uh, walking in the counsel of the wicked, sitting or standing in the way of the wicked and uh, sitting in the seat of scoffers. So I was close to that point and, and so my life had taken a drastic turn. In this text, what Paul does is he begins to take and turn our focus and kind of turn the focus of of the gospel light and shine the focus of the gospel light in the direction of our relationships. He's been doing this generally, but this is kind of a a bridge text. And so he's been speaking about our relationship within the church body and how we as a church are to be unified uh, in our uh, our mission and in following Christ. But in verse 21, he kind of transitions to specific relationships, as we'll see in the coming weeks, and even as we'll see at the end of our time together this morning, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he speaks in the coming weeks, he speaks about going from uh, uh, dealing with with marriage, a husband and a wife, to parents and children, uh, to slaves and masters in this work relationship. And all these relationships have significant kingdom implications. The paragraphs flow together from verse 15 here in chapter 5 through chapter 6, verse 9, almost seamlessly. And the pendulum of, of each relationship 
that Paul is highlighting, what, what each relationship swings on, it is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's the point that Paul wants us to see this morning in this text. And so I want to begin reading in, in chapter 5, verse 15, I invite you to follow along as I read. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This morning, I want us to see that believers are to live carefully in the world, laying our old ways aside and walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Believers are to live, you and I are to live carefully in the world, laying our old ways aside and walking in the fullness of the Spirit. That is the direction that Paul takes us in this text this morning and that we will see as we walk through the passage. And so Paul gives us, I think, four assertions to guide believers through careful living in evil days. The first one is a matter of really of implication, but you'll see it in the text in verses 15 and 16. And that is the way we live before the world matters. Now, we may think this seems obvious, but we need to hear Paul's challenge in our present day lives. In chapters 1 through 3, he explains our calling, how God in Christ created a new humanity, bringing about our redemption and our reconciliation. And then beginning in chapter 4, the theme of walk or live, it takes center stage. And he spells out the implications of our new humanity. What is this new humanity that God has called us to, that he's created within us? And so in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, as we've seen in the past, he says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. This is the exhortation that Paul gives to the church after he's said what this calling is in chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapter 4, verses 17 and 24, he, he speaks of, of walking in righteousness and walking in holiness. Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. But then look down in chapter 4, verse 24. And to put on the new self, this is that new humanity, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The way that we live before the world matters. And Paul knows this. And this is what he's driving home in chapter 5, verse 2. He tells the church, walk in love. And then tells them how to walk in love. And then chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Walk then as children of light. As light in the Lord, believers, if you remember, believers radiate the light of Christ. Our lives are like a, a prism refracting the light of the world through our various relationships, through our vocations, through our communities, through our social gatherings, and so on. And because Christ's light in us is in us, our worldview, our values, our concerns, our relationships, 
All these things are different from the world and the society in which we live. And it's for this reason that Paul is honing in here to say the way we live before the world matters. So this may be obvious, believer, but I think we need to be mindful of how our lives matter as they shine into the lives of other people. What testimony are we giving off? What are we saying about God when people know that we're believers and then they see our lives? They see our moral morals. They see our ethics. And so in verses 15 and 16, we see really three notable points. And those are the points I want us to walk through. First, we see that he exhorts us, exhorts us in verse 15, the first part of it. He says, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, what he's saying is, Watch carefully how you walk. Look, watch, it's the same word. It's a a command here in the text. And it alerts us to the urgency and to the importance of guarding our daily lives from even the slightest resemblance of evil. Believers are called to vigilance, paying close attention to our lives so that our witness might point others to Christ. This careful living... This careful living is, it comes as a believer is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not about working to be good enough. It's about abiding in Christ's all-sufficient presence in our lives. And so we see that he, he exhorts us to, to watch carefully how you walk. But secondly, we, we note the why of careful living. He says in verse 16, part B, the second part of verse 16, The days are evil. This is why, because the days are evil. Look carefully how you walk, because the days are evil. But in what sense does Paul mean that the days are evil? Does this mean we're to view the world through the lens of of Murphy's Law? Right? You know what Murphy's Law is? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? No, that's not at all what he's saying. In fact... This text this morning is kind of a a look back over where he's been and what he's been teaching and then a look forward over where we're going in the remaining portions of of Ephesians chapter 5 and and chapter 6. Paul's already commented in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 on the depravity of man. That man is sinful, right? We are all dead in our trespasses and sins, he says in chapter 2 verse 1. That means every one of us were locked in to this depraved, sinful nature. In fact, he states that we're all under the control of the prince of the power of the air, who in fact opposes God and his purposes. And until we come to faith in Christ, we are locked in under the dominion and the power of Satan. And so his point is that Satan exercises his dominion and his authority over those who remain in the world and aren't yet in Christ. And so from Paul's perspective... There's the present age and there's the age to come. And believers live in this overlapping of these two ages. The age to come was inaugurated at Christ's incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and then his exaltation to the heavenly father. But this present age, this present age continues and Satan with his evil power and dominion is still very much active in the world That's why Peter would write similarly in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. 
your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in Galatians 1.4, Paul says that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I think Kent Hughes summarizes the point well when he says, in our busy lives, we have the added pressure of knowing that things tend toward degeneration and evil if we do not attend to them. Ignore your garden and it'll be overrun with weeds, right? And the fruit will fail. Forget your body and it will vegetate and, and degenerate. And far more important, lack of attention to the interior life and one's important relationships will mean personal decline. In this world, there's a natural tendency toward corruption. And that's what Paul's speaking to here. And so he says, for this reason, guard our lives. Guard the way that we walk. Look carefully, watch, it's a command. Because the days are evil. The moral course of our nation is proof of the evil of our day. But you could look back over history and see one nation after another going through moral decline and decay. Paul's day was no different. It was morally corrupt. There was a morally corrupt society. But here's the point. Whatever happens in the course of our nation, we know the mission of the church doesn't change. We must live carefully and intentionally toward engaging God's mission in the world. We are to take no relationships for granted. We must be wise in living the gospel out, both in private and in public, in our vocations and in our homes. Everywhere we go, we must realize this is God's work. God is working through us, through his people. So thirdly, we note the activity of careful living. Look at what he says in the first part of verse 16, making the best use of the time. This is the word, use is the word redeem. And so the point here, the activity of careful living is that we would redeem the time. Redeem means to to, to buy back, to take off the market. Believers ought to seize every opportunity to be about God's work and his mission in the world. And this is what Paul is saying. In fact, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 90, 12. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And in Galatians 6.10, the Apostle Paul writes, So then we have opportunity, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, church, every relationship matters. Every word counts. We are light in a dark world. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Look back to verse 8 of Ephesians 5. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Believer, know and realize that God's plan is to work in you, but also to work through you. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Look, here's the picture of your life. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved 
and among those who are perishing. There's a cartoon that our boys used to enjoy watching, and if I'm honest, I, I kind of enjoyed watching it too. It was called Phineas and Ferb. Maybe some of you are aware of it, maybe some of you aren't. But this cartoon, Phineas and Ferb, there was this, uh, there was this exciting tagline that kind of began every episode. And it was Phineas who would say to Ferb, Ferb, I know what we're going to do today. Now, the setting of the cartoon, it's summer, so it doesn't really matter. But, uh, so they're out of school, okay? So they're looking for something to do all summer. And so here's the exciting thing. Ferb, I know what we're going to do today. And in one sense, for the believer, this is what we can say. I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to redeem the time today. This is the activity of careful living that Paul is speaking to. That for the believer who's living carefully, we're seeking to redeem the time, to buy back the time. Believers can walk in assurance, knowing that Christ is at work in and through our lives. There's a second assertion. And the second, second assertion that he gives us is in fifth, verse 15. We're going to speed up here. But verse 15b, the second part, it says, we must live wisely. Look at what he says there. Look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, right, but as wise. Paul gives us a prohibition, and then he gives us an exhortation. Walk not as unwise, but walk as wise. You see, for Paul, the wise person is one who knows God's word, knows God's ways, and then applies discernment to live his or her life in accordance with God's word and God's ways. And so here's the question. How do we walk in wisdom? Well, the good news, Paul's already told us how we walk in wisdom in his epistle to the Ephesians. I want to point out a few ways that Paul says we we are to walk in wisdom. The first is that we must be students of the word and prayer. As believers, as followers of Christ, we pray and we study that we might grow into Christ through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Paul's prayer in, in, in Ephesians 1, 17 and 19. Paul models this for the church when he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his might? Believer, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you giving yourself to prayer and study of the word? How can we expect to know God's ways? If we're not devoting ourselves, devoting our our minds to the study of God's word. And we ought to be communing with God through through prayer. We ought to be communing with God in the course of our daily lives as we read and pray over his word. That by his spirit, even as he says here in in, in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, by his spirit, he might open our eyes and fill our lives with the immeasurable greatness of his power. So how do we walk in wisdom? Well, We must be students of the word and prayer. 
But not only are we to be students of the word in prayer, we must apply God's word to our lives. We work to live according to the purpose and the plan of God as he's laid it out and revealed it in Holy Scripture. We see this already in in Ephesians chapter one, verses eight and nine, where he says, which he lavished this grace, the riches of his grace. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. So we will walk in wisdom when we apply God's word to our lives. And this point is second because it, it demands that we know his word and that we spend time in his word. Believer, do you know that God has given you wisdom and an insight in Christ into the mystery of his will? Your salvation in Christ, your holiness and, and your righteousness is a gift from God. And this speaks to our, our progressive sanctification as we learn God's word and are wise we, are, we grow in wisdom as we walk and we apply God's word in our lives. Let me ask you, church, are, are there specific ways or areas in your life where you've been negligent to apply God's word? What Paul is saying here is we walk in wisdom when we apply God's word to our lives. So to walk wisely... To walk wisely, we must be a student of the word in prayer. We must apply God's word to our lives. Thirdly, we're to live in community. I want you to see this in the text. We walk in wisdom when we engage with the church in fellowship and mission. We see this in chapter 3, verse 10. In chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This manifold wisdom of God is made known to the world through the church. That means the the multicolored wisdom of God is displayed like this beautiful tapestry for the entire world to see as the church engages in fellowship and in mission. Fellowship is crucial for the church. We enjoy one another's company. We laugh, we, we cry, we pray, and we support one another. We enjoy life together. This is fellowship. This is what it means to be a community of saints, a body of Christ. I hope that everyone who's here for Memorial Day weekend will take the opportunity to come out and to be part of, to fellowship together with another sister church as we've been invited to have this picnic on 4 o'clock on Sunday, the 28th or the 29th, that, that Sunday before Memorial Day. But the point is this, that that as we come together in fellowship, we, we learn to do life together. We live life together. We see this functioning in our, in our home groups where we have fellowship in the midst of the body. And people are sharing with one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, and growing together. But fellowship is also crucial, crucial to our mission as well. Our lives are being woven together. And this gives testimony of God's great work of bringing people together in unity by the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. As we live out the gospel, shining into a dark world, we need the support and and the partnership of one another. God has given every believer the church for community and mission. And so to walk wisely involves understanding God's redemptive plan of salvation 
and living a life that's holy, that's righteous, and that's in concert with God's saving purposes and mission in the world. This is what God is calling us to. This is how we are to walk or to live wisely. But not only are we to live wisely, the third assertion that he gives us here in verse 17 is that we must discern the Lord's will. So if you had any question this morning, how do I know God's will in my life? Verse 17 instructs us that we are to understand the will of the Lord. And I want to share with us how we are to discern the Lord's will in our life. The prohibition here is followed with an exhortation again. So Paul says in verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Understand what the will of the Lord is. In Psalm 14.1, the psalmist writes, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. In fact, the fool would be described as one who acts presumptuously, refusing to acknowledge God, refusing to acknowledge dependence on God. His speech, his actions, his understanding, they are foolishness before God. And so here's what Paul's saying. Don't be foolish. Seek to understand the will of the Lord. Well, how do we discern the Lord's will in our lives? I want to encourage you that since God's wisdom is given to the believer, Christians who are illuminated by God's Spirit when Christ shines on them, as chapter 5, verse 14 says, we can be confident knowing the Lord's will in our lives. First, we know it's the Lord's will that we lead a holy and righteous life. Again, we see this earlier already stated by Paul in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. You see, the call to a holy and blameless, a holy life, a blameless life. We see it in chapter 4, verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to lead a holy life. And righteous life, holiness in the believer's life, comes through obedience. Obedience to God's word. It comes through treasuring Christ above all things. We must discern God's will in our daily lives, working out our salvation, as Paul says, with fear and trembling in Philippians 2. And so this this leads to God-exalting conduct in our daily living. And so the holy life promotes righteousness for the believer. And the holy life is attained as we grow in being students of the word and prayer. Do you see? You see the parallel. We must be students of the word and and prayer. But secondly, we know it's the Lord's will that we walk in good works that he created beforehand. We see this in chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2.10, Paul says to the church, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so walking in the will, discerning the will of the Lord, involves walking in these good works that God has prepared beforehand that you believers should walk in. So this comes... 
This comes as we apply God's word to our lives, right? The parallel there, we must also be not only students of the word, we're applying God's word into our lives. And it's through prayer that we discern the works that God has already prepared for us to enter into. It's through watching and living carefully, being vigilant in our lives, seeking to be a vessel that the Lord would use. Thirdly, we know it's the Lord's will that we would grow with the church through unity. Grow with the church through unity. One last place to flip in chapter 4, verse 13. This is the direction and the goal of Paul's instruction to the church. In fact, after quite a, a long, after quite a long uh, discussion regarding the church's unity in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, Paul states in verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that's every part, every member of the body, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the working of the body, the gifting of one another, serving each other, building the body up, exhorting one another, holding one another up, praying for one another. This is God's will for your life, for my life, that we would grow together in the unity of the body of Christ. Believer, we should know that it's God's will for our lives that we would be involved in growing together in the community of saints. In fact, our lives should take shape around the community of saints to the point that when when we even make big decisions in life, we should be consulting and seeking with with others in the congregation, seeking and, and asking for their counsel. We should be requesting prayer over the issues in our lives. There have been many brothers and sisters in the faith that have made shipwreck of their faith because they have isolated themselves from the community, from the congregation, and they have kind of they have gone off and they have done whatever they want to do, and before long they find themselves isolated, way out in the middle of nowhere, having made shipwreck of their faith and not knowing what to do. The church is a gift from God to believers. In fact, Proverbs fifteen twenty two speaks of counsel. It says, Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The point that Paul makes through calling us to discern the Lord's will is to recognize, realize that Christ-centered instruction found in gospel community enables the believer to discern those things which are pleasing to the Lord. So discerning the Lord's will guards our lives. But fourthly, I I want you to see that the spirit-filled life enlivens our souls. We see this in verses 18 through 21. There's a progression of thought as Paul writes. Verse 15, he says, watch your life carefully. And he says, walk in wisdom. Verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. And now to verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, resulting in the actions that he speaks about in verses 19 through 21. But first, he gives us another prohibition that's followed by another exhortation. 
And the prohibition is this. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul sets the characterization of the old life in contrast here with the new life. And the parallel between drunkenness and filled with the Spirit, it's a, it's a superficial parallel here. Some compare the two as, as controlling influence, but the, the difference is that drunkenness makes one lose self-control while the Holy Spirit actually produces the fruit of self-control in the believer's life. And so Paul's prohibition here isn't, isn't because drinking alcohol is inherently sinful. It's because drunkenness was a major part of the old life. And he's been denouncing the old life, calling the church to leave behind the old life, to put the old life aside, and to walk in new life, in the new creation. And so this old way of life was prevalent in Ephesus. Believers are exhorted to abandon the ways of the world that are characterized by sin and death, as we see in Ephesians 2.1. And the reason the believers are to do this is we're to guard against any semblance of evil. And so he says, guard against. Do not be drunk with wine. Guard against drunkenness. Because it leads to debauchery, dissipation. It leads to reckless living. It makes people do stupid things. It makes people lose their sense of self-control. And so drunkenness leads to sinful behavior. And this sinful behavior is contrary to God's ways. And that's the point that Paul's making. So believer, if you are one who partakes of alcohol, guard your life. Don't let drunkenness have its foot in the door in your life. Guard your life. And if you can't guard that, Put it away. This is the call that Paul's giving for the believer. It's serious. Drunkenness leads to sinful behavior and is contrary to God's ways, while spirit-filled living leads to godly behavior so that we become imitators of God, as he says in Ephesians 5.1. And so in verses 19 through 21... We see the ways that the spirit-filled uh, that spirit-filled living enlivens the soul. And Paul isn't speaking of of a second filling here that that charismatic believers attribute to the manifestation of the spirit. Instead, here's what Paul means when he says to be filled with the spirit in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He means that we are to be consumed and controlled by the Spirit. He's speaking of consistent, steady joy uh, that, that, that fills our lives because we are abiding in Christ. And so to be filled with the Spirit is to walk in step with the Spirit's prompting. It means to long for more of Christ. And it gives us the countenance of joyfully displaying passion for the things of God. And so, there are three things that it produces. I want to give you these quickly. First, it produces a symphony of the soul. We see this in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. The psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that Paul speaks of, his point isn't that we're 
Well, his point is rather that that spirit-filled people overflow in song. He's not saying that we abandon normal speech to communicate with one another as if we're in an opera singing to each other, right? That's not not what he's talking about. Instead, he's saying spirit-filled believers have this vertical music of the heart which flows out of God's Word, and it flows out of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And so he says that we go about singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. The outflow that comes from, from such filling is that the tune of our heart before the Lord becomes the tune of our lips before one another. And when we gather publicly, the psalms are on our lips from the Psalter. The hymns that we sing fill the air. And the spontaneous praise that we offer results in spiritual songs. This is the culmination of the week for the believer when they gather together and they sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another and in one another's presence. Think about how this might look in the midst of the gathered church. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does your life, does this describe your life in Christ? Are you filled with the Spirit? Is your countenance joyful from meditating on the Word of God and memorizing the Word of God? But secondly, not only does it produce a symphony of the soul, it produces a satisfaction of the soul. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's filling brings deep, deep satisfaction. And it calls us to a radical spirit of gratitude. Empowers us with a radical spirit of gratitude. In fact, we're empowered to thank God even in the midst of hardships and and difficulties. Not when there's injustice or, or evil, but whenever we walk through hardships and difficulties, it is the Holy Spirit's filling in our lives that teaches us how to walk through those hardships and difficulties. And so the fullness of the Spirit rules out grumbling and the critical spirit and complaining. Instead, a thankful attitude in the believer's life, announces the presence of the Spirit. And so he says there in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must realize that every blessing comes to us through Jesus and that every praise goes to the Father through Jesus And what Paul is saying here in verse 20 is that as we're giving thanks because we're spirit-filled, everything that God has given us, we are always looking and turning and turning through the lens and the prism of seeing God's hand at work. And because of that, we're able to take confidence and know and trust that God is in the midst of us and that He is working. I've seen this displayed most recently. In the life of Fadi, uh, our friend who is imprisoned, detained, suffering hardship, suffering injustice. And in the midst of the difficulty of his being imprisoned, he is struggling. I told him, keep reading Philippians, brother. Keep trusting in the Lord. Keep 
praying. Don't lose faith. And, and in the midst of this, he, he, he's, he's experiencing the satisfaction of his soul, but it's difficult and it's hard. And the point is that for the spirit-filled believer, it doesn't mean that things are always easy. But what it means is the Lord equips us. He fills us. He empowers us to walk through even the most difficult hardships of life. So Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you will speak differently to one another, live differently. You will give thanks. You'll have this radical attitude of of, of graciousness and thankfulness for God in your life. And then finally, he says, it's even going to govern these relationships between one another in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, there must be a willingness in the Christian fellowship to serve any, to learn from any, to be corrected by any, regardless of our age, regardless of, of sex, regardless of class, regardless of, the, of, of any other division. There must be a willingness for the Christian to serve others. All human relationships really find their pattern and their meaning in the expression of, of the authority under the authority of Christ. And if Christ himself became the servant of all, the question is, should not the believer become a servant to one another? Should not we submit to one another? This is what Paul is saying in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. But isn't that hard to do? To submit to others? Isn't it hard to do to serve others? The pride within us wells up and we don't want to do that. It's hard to do, but that's why Paul says this is a spirit-filled action. Listen, believer, you can't serve others on your own, in your own strength. You can't do it for any kingdom benefit. And so what Paul's saying is a secret to the Christian life here is the Christian life must be one that is filled with the Spirit. Because in being filled with the Spirit, our, our souls are impacted. In being filled with the Spirit, there is this symphony that, that, that reigns through or that, that, that screams through in our lives and being filled with the Spirit, there is this deep satisfaction in the soul so that we can be thankful in all things. And in being filled with the Spirit, we walk in a way that is submissive first to Christ and out of reverence for Christ. We are submitting to one another. We're serving one another. Get the picture of what Paul's painting for the church. As the world looks on, And sees this radically different group of people who don't participate in the drunkenness. Who have transformed the way that they used to live. And now there's this new life, this new humanity, this new creation that they have been they have been brought into. This becomes a testimony to the world. This morning, here's here's my challenge to us. Believers, believers are to walk wisely. Believers are to live carefully in the world, laying our old ways aside so that we might walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Believer, I want to challenge you this morning to seek the Lord in this way, to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, 
to let your daily life be guided and directed by what God wants to do. And then to daily, moment by moment even, focus your mind upon God's word, putting the old self aside so that you might walk in the fullness of the spirit, hearing from the Lord, being directed in your daily life, knowing and carrying out the will of the Father for our lives. Let me pray for us this morning.